Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. We've got a fascinating show in store for you. I've got a wonderful guest that I can't wait to introduce you to. Um, and I am not in my usual place, so I'm going to take off my virtual background for a change. Um, well, actually, I'm first going to put this one up and then I'll take it off uh, because, of course, uh, first we start off with our little section, our quote from Everyday Awakening. Um, so let's get started because I really want to get to my guest. So this section of the book that we happen to come upon for this week is entitled Growth Happens in the Dance Between Fluidity and Integrity. There is a dance we are all learning to do in our lives, a dance that brings to us each day where we move from one extreme to the other. It is the dance between fluidity and integrity, the dance between keeping our word and dealing with crisis, between changing priorities and keeping the vision, between being present and remembering the goal. Life brings us gifts in all sorts of ways. It challenges challenges our sense of right and wrong. It makes us face our values and standards in unexpected ways. It tests our integrity. In the dance of moving from being flexible to being true to our word, there is a vast space, a space we all learn to navigate over time, a space where we learn about what is profoundly important to us. Do we worry about our image more than doing the quote-unquote right thing? Do we worry about what people will think of us? Are we concerned about the impact we have on other people? What is most important to us always rises to the surface, and there we have an opportunity to truly examine ourselves, our motivations, and our struggles. How do we adapt and change to any given situations? Are we hard on ourselves when we could not possibly live up to our word? Do we acknowledge it and hold ourselves accountable? Do we take actions to respond to what just happened? Sometimes we have to break our own rules to uphold a higher purpose, to lend a hand to someone in need or to stay present with someone who is going through a rough time. Sometimes we have to pull away from a loved one in order to fulfill other responsibilities. Do we own it? All of it. How we show up when there are these kinds of challenges reveals much about who we are and is an opportunity for growth, self-reflection, and other kinds of inner work. What kind of dance are you in? 
how comfortable are you in the movement from fluidity to integrity? So this section of the book I um, wrote you know, a few years ago, and I wrote it after I took this training with the Evolutionary Business Council, which is many of you know, is one of my favorite uh, organizations. Uh, I, I truly feel that the people in this organization are, 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 are true soul family for me. And I, I went through their certified master training program. And in this training program. It's all about how to run and hold transformational weekends, experiences, multi-speaker experiences for people. And, and in these trainings, there were different kinds of training. So one, the first training I ended up going to was all about fluidity. And then the next one I went to was really about impact and, and, and your word and being true to it. And, and I just thought it was such an interesting dynamic between these two extremes. Because when you're doing transformational work with people, and, and let's say you're, it's a group of people and there's some kind of agenda and you say, oh, we're gonna break for lunch at you know 12 o'clock. And at a quarter to 12, you're going through some process, you're working with someone, and suddenly they're having a breakdown. And, and now there's a real opportunity for you to do deep work, not just with that one person, but in a way that affects everybody in the room. So, so do you just tell the person, oh, I'm sorry, we have to go to lunch now? Or, or, or do you manage the room and say, hey, you know what, I know we're supposed to go to lunch, but this is really important. Is it okay if we stay with this person and really work through this for everyone's benefit? And, and so just learning that kind of principle to me was something relatively new. I'd never heard this sort of juxtaposition before of this dance between fluidity and integrity and, and, and between keeping your word and having to change things. And, and I just, I kind of sat with it for a while. I sort of, um, you know, was trying to figure out like, you know, where else does this apply in life? You know, how else is there this dance between, you know, what we say to other people, living up to our word and, and having to change and be flexible and, 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 and being more present to the moment and what's needed right there and then. And then I realized that there are a lot of situations in life where we have to deal with this, that it can be really triggering. You know, with some of the personal work that I've done, I've had to work with people who are very fluid and who were just, you know, you didn't know what was happening until the day it was happening. And it's like, we all look for certainty. We all look for, I need to know, I got to know what to do, this and that. But do we really? Can we dance in the unknown just a little bit more to be okay when some, with someone else's fluidity? And it's interesting because it's about how comfortable we are, because some people I know, it's like their word is their word. They're going to keep to it. They live up to it 100% and nothing can ever change that. And I can see how like there's can be some good things to that, but it can also be a little harsh. It can also be a little bit like, you know, sometimes you need to take care of your family. Sometimes you need to, a friend calls up and they're having a really hard time and they're asking for you to come over, but you have some other commitment. 
And so I've learned to, over time, I, it used to be like, oh, my word is my bond. If I give my word to something, I'm going to stick to it. And then I realized, you know, my word is not my bond. I mean, it is. But sometimes other things take precedence. And people who know me and people who know you, when they know that you're coming from your heart and they know that you're working towards what's really best for the most people, then when you don't make something, when you don't live up to your word, then they know, well, there must be a good reason why. But if you're the kind of person who never lives up to your word, then it's just like, oh, they're being them, they're flaky, they're this, they're that. And so sometimes I feel like we can be a little too harsh, a little too strict, a little too rigid about, oh, you said you were going to do this. When are you going to, do this? this has to get done. I thought you were going to get this done. But actually, sometimes the best thing we can do is just be a little more fluid, be a little more flexible. Now, this does not mean we don't recognize the impact this has on other people. And if we say we're going to do something and for a competing priority, we end up not doing it, we need to honor that. And we need to say to that person and clean it up with them, say, look, I know I said I was going to do this for you, but this and that came up and there was just no way I had to make a choice. I apologize for the effect that had on you. What can I do to make up for it? And when we show up in that way where we're sincere and we're authentic and, and we're letting them know why there was an impact, but then they're much more likely to be forgiving. They're much more likely to, to allow us to the, the opportunity to, be, to ha own our own fluidity and say, okay, I understand it, it, it affected me this way and that way. Um, but but in the future, if you can just let me know ahead of time or something like that. So um, that's what this whole section of the book is about. I would love for, for anyone listening to kind of think about this balance for yourself between fluidity and integrity. And, and just think about it over the next week of, of what, you know, that means to you. And what does that bring up for you? And how kind and gentle you are with yourself when you have to break your own integrity and just to see where that dance is for yourself and I think it can really say a lot about ourselves if we're open to it all right and so that's the section from my book everyday awakening and don't forget you can get that at everydayawakeningbook.com available at, at uh, uh, Amazon Barnes and Noble all the major booksellers and of course, you can always go to your small independent bookstores, which I love small independent bookstores, and um, uh, request it there. And so before we go to break, I really want to introduce my guest, a wonderful gentleman by the name of Steve Litwer. And he's a musician and an author um, of the brand new book, The Music Between Us, which we'll talk about later. So Steve was raised by a single mentally ill mother who suffered from both schizophrenia and bipolar. And, and as some of you know, in the past, I lived with a good friend for six years who was schizophrenic. And I, I, 
I can sympathize tremendously. The effect of this upbringing was something that thwarted his social interactions and relationships throughout his life. These were often contaminated by a fear, by a legacy of fear, agitation, confusion, and the feelings of inadequacy. Totally with you there. As a young man, Steve wanted to be a musician. Largely self-taught on the guitar, guitar, he lacked the talent to play professionally, so he chose another career path until he retired, working in TV and radio stations in Kansas City, Memphis, and Charlotte. In his retirement as a volunteer, Steve began playing music for hospice patients. As their bedside musician, his private performances and companionship to those nearing the end of their lives began to unlock long buried memories of his own past. The result, surprising lessons and new insights about the events of his life, finding the path to emotional health and forgiveness for himself and his mother. The Music Between Us is a memoir about that reckoning with a painful childhood, a spiritual awakening, and discovering some of life's most important lessons in an unexpected way. Incorporating moving and sometimes funny true stories of people in hospice, this book explores the mysterious ways that Steve has come to understand and reclaim his life through the power of music and the unexpected gift of the healing he received from those who cannot heal. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Steve. A pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Sam. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, I have so many questions for you. Um, we, we need to take a break, but actually, before we go to break, I just want to ask you one question. Um, when you were growing up and like you had this love of music, you started playing guitar. I mean, you know, you were in that the heyday, I think you were growing up in the heyday of folk music, rock music. It was really blossoming. Like, when did you realize you were not going to be a professional musician? <laughs> I think as I, as I entered my uh, mid to later teens and I noticed all the other musicians were better than me. Mm. And I looked at many who are a lot older, who were constantly broke, ah. even though they were great musicians. And I thought maybe I should be realistic. Mm. And so I left for college at the age of 17, ah. sold my equipment, sold my guitar because I wanted the money for college, and said goodbye, except everything but one acoustic guitar that I kept around because I knew I would always play, but I, I knew I didn't have the talent or the gifts and I didn't have the discipline to practice. And I didn't want to go to music school. So I was young and, you know, everything was before me and music was, a, was very important, but it wasn't going to be my, my professional calling. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. When I was in college, um, after my first year, I was a physics major. And then after that, I didn't want to be a physicist. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I took all different kinds of courses and uh, acting classes, art classes, creative writing classes. And I really loved taking the art classes, though I took them not because I ever thought I'd be an artist, but because I was always so inspired by my friends in high school who I thought were good artists. And I felt like I could never draw a straight line. So after taking a bunch of classes, I realized like, wow, I could see some improvement. And so I took like two years worth of art classes, but I, then I kind of had the same thing. It's like, 
I don't know if I want to be a starving artist when I graduate. Like I'm not, and I realized like, I'm not that talented as an artist. I don't think I'm going to make any money even as a graphic artist. So I was like, you know what? Computers are kind of interesting. They're up and coming. I, I think maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get into computer science because that way I can actually make a living when I graduate. So. Yes. <laughs> totally with you there. Yes. Well, All the right. Great, so the great, thing, the great thing about our discoveries is that you can do other things for a living and still play around with art and, and improve. And yes. I can still practice my guitar and improve, which I surprisingly did. But anyway, so I can relate to what you're saying. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, great, Steve. So we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, I wanna talk about sort of what was the, uh, uh, um, well, just how you got into starting to play for people in hospice, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. And eventually I want to get to sort of why you decided to take those experiences and turn them into a book. Okay, Steve? Great. Wonderful. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on talkradio.nyc and all over Facebook Live. And we will be right back after these messages. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're here speaking this hour with Steve Litwer, author of the book, The Music Between Us, Memoir of a Bedside Musician. Um, I do see loyal listener Patty checking in. She's in Washington State this, 
week. Um, so Steve, uh, what sort of uh, uh, encouraged you or like, how did you fall into volunteering at a hospice to play music? Well, um, let me see. I had one experience like that. And by the way, I'm retired by the traditional definition is that I don't work eight to five for money for somebody else. Ah. That's important to know. Good for you. And And I entered this state of total freedom and independence about six or seven years ago. But about 10 years prior to that, when I was in business, and I was in the I was an advertising executive in, in broadcasting and cable TV. I was I came home from a business trip, and my spouse informed me that one of her closest friends' husbands had just had a heart attack, and he was in hospice care. It happened very quick. I still had my suit and tie on. She said, "Would you grab your guitar, my acoustic guitar, and go over to the hospice, and maybe play for them?" And I said, "What?" You want me to what? <laughs> what would I play? I mean, it just caught me off guard. And uh, I said, okay. So I, I went over there and there was his wife, the friend and a good friend of my, my wife. And, and, the, and the patient, her husband, was all wired up. He was probably sedated. He was sleeping. So I figured, what am I going to do? I'm not going to sing old rock and roll songs. I'll probably just play some soft melodic fingerstyle guitar, which is what I did. And I did it for about an hour. And he didn't respond, but his wife really got engaged with the music. It was such a relief for her to get some relief because she was really basically standing vigil waiting for him to pass away. And nurses and hospice workers were walking by and through the open door, they stopped to listen to me play. And so I left and I never forgot that experience. It was was very touching for me. I've never done anything like that. So fast forward 10, 12 years and I'm retired. And I I told my company I was leaving because I wanted to play guitar. (laughs) That was the best excuse I could give for not wanting to any longer be where I was. I thought I was a little nuts because I was a little young to retire. And I did that. And I had, I did some immediate work volunteering for a church, but a couple of years into retirement, I got an email from a company that tries to match volunteers with, with companies who need volunteers and companies paid them for listings. They're all mostly nonprofits. And, and there were two listings there on the front of the email above the fold front page from two different hospices that said they were looking for volunteers to spend time with patients, the dying patients. And it didn't say they wanted a guitar player or a musician. They just said, come find out how you could spend time with somebody near the end of their lives. It immediately struck a note with me. I immediately remembered back to that experience 10 or 12 years earlier. And so I emailed them back. The next day, I interviewed with both of them. I went through a certification process to be able to visit with patients. I had a background check, some wow. medical checks. And two weeks later, I'm there with my guitar in front of my first client. And I don't call them patients. Everybody else calls mm. them patients. I call them my clients. Clients, yeah. So that's, that was basically it. It just 
struck a nerve. And I figured, you know, there was a little ego gratification for me because I knew I wasn't that good, great a guitar player. And my music is some can be riddled with mistakes. <laughs> and I figured, how, who's going to complain? Who's, you know, only only 25% of the patients can engage. The rest are too far along. They're sedated. They're asleep. So who's going to complain? Now, I learned later that there's, there can be plenty of complaints about my play, but I figured this is great. I could play my music, what I want to play. You know, I haven't thought deeply enough about it. So this was about four years ago. All right. So I found myself uh, playing music, and it started out one day a week, then two days a week, then three days a week, then four days a week, and then it settled in at about two or three until the pandemic hit. And then uh, I became out like everybody else. Yeah, of course, right, of course. So, but let me ask you a question though, in the middle of this, because most people w- would shy away from going to a hospital where the sick people, going to a hospice where, where people are dying because we, it brings up a lot about our own mortality. We're like, no, nah, we don't want to deal with that. What was it that for you, it, it was something that drew you as opposed to something that repelled you? You know, I'm still exploring that, you know, okay. I'm still exploring that, that what happened and why I responded that way. And there's a number of different answers that maybe they come together. For one thing, because and you, I know you're going to get to this. I grew up in a very dysfunctional household where my mother was very sick. Yeah. Uh, with the, as you mentioned, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which today the two together are called schizoaffective disorder. And so I created some real heavy duty blocking mechanisms. Mm. Whenever some, so I grew up thinking if anybody got emotional, because my mother was not quite right, I would block it out. I became a very detached person. My wife said to me (laughs) a couple, a year or two after I started playing, she says, you know why you were able to play for them? Because you're so detached. You don't feel their pain. I'm not sure how I, I'm not sure I like that. But yeah. there's probably some truth that I could, bl- if I was not getting a good response, or they were uncomfortable or getting emotional or irrational, which are some behaviors you might find with somebody, depending on their disorder, mm-hmm. I could rise above it. Like I could rise above it. Got now, it. later on, I converted that. I realized I practiced not being so detached, but being non-attached. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to be, I worked on getting myself into the same vulnerable spaces they are because who's more vulnerable if somebody's dying right and right. trying to feel what they're feeling without falling apart mm. and so you you become not attached at the same time you can be in the same space with somebody yeah and i think you there's people trained to do that in certain helping professions like psychologists therapists right. anyway i don't know if, i don't know if that answered your question but yep. you are right. A lot of people won't do what I do. I got to tell you, when I meet somebody uh, and they say, what do you do? I say, well, I'm a volunteer. Oh, what are you volunteer doing? Well, I play music for dying people. And they go, <gasps> <laughs> they kind of take it, it. They hold their breath. Like, and yeah. they say, really? I say, yes, I'm a hospice volunteer. I visit with people. I give them private performances. And then invariably, I get a variation on this response. You're such a saint. That's yeah. Really you know what? For a second, it's a real ego stroke. People think you're a saint for doing something like that. But then I realize I'm not such a saint. 
because I've, I've gotten a lot out of that relationship with the patient. Right. So I, you know what? I'm not such a saint, but it's a valuable service. I, it's a gift I could provide my music. Yeah. And it's something you could do too. You don't have to be a musician. Ah, All of a sudden they back up and go, no, I could never spend time with that. that that's yeah. often the response I get. And so, and hospice volunteer coordinators, most hospices have them, can have a challenging time recruiting volunteers. Yeah, just absolutely. To sit, just to sit with people because they're, they're not comfortable. And, and they're right. trained to deal with that. Yeah. And, and, and I want to get into a little bit more about why we're so uncomfortable in general about that. But, you know, just hearing you talk reminded me, I had a gentleman on my show, might be three, four, maybe five years ago, who, um, when he was in India, ended up volunteering at one of the hospice centers that Mother Teresa ran. Mm -hmm. And he used to be present with people, like literally at the point they were transitioning, at the point they were dying. And he spoke about, I remember him talking about, I, I wish I could remember who that was, but, but, but he spoke about how what a gift it was for him to see and connect with these people who, who are, are so close to death and, and how much he got out of it. And it sounds like the same thing was true for you is that as much as you gave of yourself, you also received in the process. Correct. That okay. was my ultimate big discovery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got to go to break. I see loyal listener Sanaya on the Facebook Live saying such a beautiful gesture to, of comfort for the family. Yeah, so you know, it's also it's it's not even just for the person who's in the room, but could also be for who's in there with them, with friends, family, close people who are having a hard time dealing with this loss that's about to happen as well. So we're going to go to break. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Steve Litwer, author of the book, The Music Between Us. Um, and when we come back, I want to find out where that title came from. So we'll be right back after these messages. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc.
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Um, so, Steve, your book, The Music Between Us, where'd that title come from? I really like it. Well, the title was a real challenge mm. because I didn't start off writing a book. Ah. So I didn't know how to title it. This is not started as a book. Right. Uh, it started as a journal where I was just recording my, my individual experiences with patients. And then I had a brainstorm. My, I have a business background. Yeah. So I thought hospices are challenged to find volunteers and especially musicians to volunteer. Mm-hmm. Very difficult to find. So I thought if I wrote all of my little, a bunch of my experiences with patients and my, how my musical interactions affected them and me, this is at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I could turn it into a little pamphlet. Maybe I'd have 15 little vignettes that I could put an introduction and I could give it to hospices they could use to give it to to prospective volunteers. And I wrote all this out. And then a friend who was an author said, you know, this is very interesting, but you don't have a book here. It shouldn't even be a pamphlet. She says, what's missing is your story. Wow. What, what potential volunteers and anybody else want to know was, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why are you spending this much time with people? And I said, okay, I'm going to come up with a working title. And my working title for the first year of the book was When They're Dying to Hear You. I thought it was very catchy and very funny. And I realized as I got into the book and things got more serious, it was too glib. Mm. So I, I, I banged around and I would, there was a movie that was out three years ago called The Mountain Between Us. It was on TV. And I looked at the title and it was a, you know, it was a play on words because it was a, two people trapped on a mountain and they were separated. Wow. It was a mountain between them emotionally and physically. And gotcha. I thought, you know what? I like that. So I put the word music in the place of mountain and it became the music between us. But that has a lot of levels. And the fact is, there is music between us and the music between us brings people together. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're playing for an audience or a dying person. Music is a very powerful thing. And I realized at my age that my playing musical patients, those same songs were having an impact on me and changing me. And some of these songs I've been playing for years, but I hadn't realized just how powerful they were because they started triggering memories for me. Which I actually was going to be my next question to you. So you're reading my mind. 
about what was sort of the most impactful sort of experience you had doing this. And by the way, I just want to give a quick shout out to Stephanie, our uh, uh, our both our editor um, who edited your book and edited my book um, who put us together. So uh, a, a big shout out to Stephanie for that. Hello, Stephanie. Yeah, hopefully she's listening. Hopefully she's um, listening. So um, yeah, so, so part of this was in, in your own story in the book, what, which story was it that really triggered you that, that's, or, or had the most impact that kind of made you go, oh, there's something more going on. Here. Something early happened. Uh, okay. Now, remember, I'm writing these vignettes, and, I'm, and I was just nothing about my life yet. And there was, well, I had an early experience with a client or a patient, if you want to. I was visiting a nursing home, mm-hmm. and I discovered early on there were certain kinds of music that would appeal to people of certain ages. Because uh, I had to start somewhere. You know, right. somebody's 80, and they lived in an urban area. What were they listening to? during their most formative memory-making years. And I researched that, okay? And I know what those years are. And it's true for all of us. What were they listening to in their late teens and 20s? That's the music we gravitate to. And there's a reason for that, which we can talk about later. So I, uh, I decided that if somebody's 85 at this time, they were in their late teens or to mid-20s, probably in the late 1950s at the dawn of the rock and roll era. Mm. So people think, oh, what do you do? Play big band for them or George, you know, that, no, those people are listening to rock and roll. If you're 80 now, you were listening to rock and roll. Right. All right. You were an Elvis head or something. Right. So anyway, I, I developed a repertoire of songs from popular artists of the late fifties and early sixties. And one of those artists were the Everly brothers. If you remember the oh. Everly brothers, they did bye bye love and, yeah, I love dream, the Elderly Brothers. They all you got to do is dream. All right. So I'm sitting, I walk into the nursing home. I'm in the room. I take on my guitar. I said, I'm going to do a medley of songs. And some of them are by the Everly Brothers. And as I began to play, the woman, the patient yelled out, Donnie, Donnie, Donnie. And I stopped. I said, who's Donnie? She goes, Donnie Everly. Don't you know who the Don't you know who the Everly Brothers are? That's what she said to me. <laughs> so I said, "Well, I remember the Everly Brothers. What about Donnie?" She said, "I used to date him." I said, "You dated wow. one of the Everly Brothers?" You know, the condition of some of my patients leads them to concoct things sometimes, or they they confuse <laughs> real memories with things they imagined happened. So I said, "Really? When was this? When did you date him?" And she said, "When I was fourteen." She, I said, what year was that? She goes, oh, I don't know, around 1952. I said, oh, okay. So where was this? She goes, well, in his hometown, Shenandoah. I said, where's Shenandoah? She goes, Shenandoah, Iowa. Oh, where did you live? She goes, oh, I lived up the road in Glenwood, Iowa. Okay. So I said, well, what did you, you were only 14. How did you get from Glenwood to Shenandoah? She goes, I hitchhiked. You hitchhiked. <laughs> Okay, now I figured, you know, I'm testing her, I'm playing around, I'm having some fun with this, quizzing her. And uh, I said, uh, so if you knew him, what was his brother's name? And she goes, Phil, don't you know anything? It was Don and Phil Everly. Those were the Everly brothers. I said, (laughs) okay. And what did you do when you would visit him? She goes, we would practice yodeling. That's what she said. 
All right. I said, okay, what was the father's name? She goes, Ike. I said, wow, you really got this story together. Uh, can I have your autograph? I, the name of the chapter of my book is called The Oldest Groupie. Okay, uh -huh. The Oldest Groupie. She says, honey, I'm like 80 something. I don't give autographs anymore. And anyway, <laughs> so I continued playing and I was playing some Everly Brothers songs like Dream, Dream, Dream. And I went home that night and Googled the Everly Brothers. Well, during that, in that year, they lived in Shenandoah, Iowa. And then wow. I mapped through my navigation a Glenwood, Iowa, which is 38 miles up the street. Wow. Okay. And I have a friend who's a very good musician, a mentor. I said, do you know about the Everly Brothers family? He goes, yeah. I said, what was the father's name? He goes, Ike. He was also a Ooh. guitar player. So she was right about everything. Yeah. All right. So I believe that she probably did. And now, here's the thing. Music is a very powerful mnemonic device. It triggers mm -hmm. numbers. And there's a science behind that that talks yes. about that. Yeah. You, at certain ages, we encode memories like music, and they stay with us forever. Now, I don't know if she always remembered that story or it just triggered her and the memories kept bubbling up. But it triggered my memories because I was born in 1952. And uh, four or five years later, um, you know, eight years later, it's like 1958, I'm listening to Bye Bye Love, Dream, 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 a whole host of Everly Brothers hits. And I started thinking back to where I was, all that music triggered me and I started to remember with that visit, my own, some, a little piece of my own slice of life that I had blocked out with my mother. Uh, that was my first experience realizing and I didn't even, it didn't hit me deeply enough that I got triggered from the, from the music and talking about the music. So mm. that's, my, that's my story about the oldest rock and roll groupie. That, that really hit me. So that's one, I have a, a number of stories, but some right. are just warm and funny like that. That's kind of a funny story. Right. Right. Others were more intense. Once this started to unfold, right, and, and, and this was one particular visit, I'm sure there were other visits that yes. other things started to bubble up. Um, did you feel like you were imagining things? Did you say, I got to go talk to a therapist? Like, like, what was your reaction to all of that? Yes, yes. And I had a deep reaction. So what happened was, as I started playing for patients, I worked on getting myself to be vulnerable. I just worked on playing music that I liked, even though some of that music was a little old for me, because I'm more of a kid of the 60s. But I remember some of those 50s hits. We all know some of those hits. Yeah. And I started to remember things. I started, you know, sometimes during a, a patient visit, and it wasn't usually one visit. It was the accumulation of visits. I'd start to remember. Mm -hmm. Patients would talk about their own history. Those who could communicate, I started thinking about my own. I had a very powerful one. I, 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 I went to play for a woman who was like 98 years old. And I figured wow. that's pretty old, you know. And when I walk into a person's apartment or room, I look for the knickknacks. I call them artifacts, the artifacts of their life. What are the, are the pictures of the grandchildren, knickknacks that might have been popular? If she's 99, she was collecting stuff from the 1940s. But what I saw was a black and white photo in this woman's room of five boys with beetle haircuts and beetle boots. Oh. It's like a, a, a promotional promotion, a promotional poster from the 1950s. 
she had a son who was in a Beatles sound-alike band. Oh. She's 99 years old. She wants to hear the music from that era. And I flash back immediately as something I had forgotten. Because during that time, I was starting to play guitar and I had my first pair of Beatle boots. And I remember, I started to remember an experience I had with that music and my own emotional life. Because the summer of 1965, I was 12 or 13 years old. And I was on the boardwalk in New Jersey to see my first rock and roll concert. It was a band called Herman's Hermits. Oh, Herman's Hermits. I remember them. I don't remember that music, but I do remember Heidi, the girl I met <laughs> at the show, who was a year younger. She was like 12. Mm. And I can recall sitting on a bench with her on the boardwalk, looking out the ocean and slowly putting my arm around her and mm. feeling her mohair sweater. I remembered it was uh. a mohair sweater. And I kissed tactile senses. It was my my first kiss, you know. So the thing about music is, and and memories around music will bring back all kinds of things. Uh, You know, there's something called the reminiscence bump, and I've so I want you to hold that thought because we got to take another break, and we're coming into the last segment. And so when we come back, um, you you can finish that thought, and then. um, I want to just sort of talk about uh, what has transpired for you in terms of the lockdown, the publishing the book, and, sure. and, and, and what that journey has been like for you, because this is something you were being there in person, helping people, and then suddenly you're, you're not anymore. Right. Okay. So, so, so everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on talkradio.nyc and all over Facebook Live. And we will be right back with Steve Litwer right after these messages. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. 
Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. To the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. Before I get back to you, Steve, I see this bunch of comments on the Facebook Live. I see Susan checking in from Wisconsin. Welcome, Susan. Uh, Sanaya says, I love the observance of artifacts of their lives. Music is such a soul space for many. I totally believe in exposing the womb to music. So if you have music in the womb, it's just as important as music at the end of life, in my opinion. Beautifully well said, Sanaya. And uh, Patty, too, says, um, I, I too had a bipolar and, and psychic mom to get away from her. I would play 75s on a crank Victrola and lost myself in music and old movie movies. We had two pianos and I would play on them. I'm interested in reading your book. It may refresh my memories. Wow. Music is a language all into itself. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate it. So, so Steve, um, Can I, let me just answer your prior question. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You said, did you go to a therapist? As my memories came back, and some of these were very painful of me and my mother, and I could see why I blocked them, which led to me blocking a lot of pieces of my life as an adult. Mm -hmm. So I did go to a therapist, and this therapist happened to have worked a lot with schizophrenics and the children of schizophrenics. Ah. He could describe to me what I was, he was fascinated with what was going on. Because there's some science here with the music. And so he explained to me what I was experiencing and what I experienced as a kid. Uh-huh. So he helped to explain what I was feeling. Now, gotcha. jumping forward, there's a, in neuroscience, there's something called the memory bump. Basically, we all have this. It's people, humans all over the world. From ages zero to five, you forget almost everything. Then you yeah. start to remember stuff. But from the age of 15 to 25, there's an explosion in encoded memories. It's, it's not uh-huh. just music. Movies you saw. Uh, TV commercials you saw, radio commercials of the era, books you read. So that means, so if you're 70 years old or 80 or 90, you'll remember a piece of music you heard, a pop song in 1961, faster than a big hit song you were listening to in your 50s. So uh, that's called, it's called, the, it's the, it's a bump. It's, it's bump. a reminiscence gotcha. bump is what it's called. Okay, so just so there's a little neuroscience about the music triggering memories. Okay, I'm done answering the prior questions. <laughs> um, so, so when you um, had been doing this for how many years had you been? Well, I've been doing it for about two and a half to three years when the pandemic. When so, the pandemic hit. Yeah. And... And you had gotten used to doing this. What was it like for you when suddenly you couldn't go to the hospice anymore? I felt like I was going through a withdrawal because what's happening is I was going to hospice and I'm working on the book and suddenly I need to contemplate what I've experienced. So the, the experiences now are, are not just current that I'm recording, but I'm going back and looking at my journal and making sense out of 
the uh, roughly 250 different clients, 300 visits wow. that I had done wow. and making sense out of it. Wow. So what? Ha- so I, there was the lockdown, especially my, the places I visited the most were nursing homes. They got locked down first. Yeah, I'm not in. I'm not a doctor or a nurse, so they're not letting me in. I'm just a volunteer with a guitar. Right. right. So all most volunteers got locked out. A lot of volunteers quit. They stopped volunteering for hospice. Nobody knew when this would end. So I finished up my book and started marketing it. Now, in the last two months ago, I started to get called back. You would you visit this person? Would you visit that person? Because now all those people are vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. And all of a sudden, we have the Delta variant. Yeah. So about three or four weeks ago, I stopped getting calls. Uh, so that's okay. But, you know, it's funny things. I'm still reflecting on the story of my book and my story and how much doing this activity changed me and what I've learned. Right. Uh, and I've written about that on my blog. Right. So, so what would you say to people who, you know, read your book or are hearing this interview and, and maybe it sparks something in them that they might want to interest in, in working in hospice or, or, or volunteering similar to you? What would you, advice would you give to them? Here's what I would say, based upon what I've learned. Mm-hmm. First of all, let me say that every, almost every great faith tradition, I don't care what, what faith you, you come out of, talks about helping the vulnerable. Yeah. The most vulnerable, taking care of the poor. They all say there are variations on that theme. I, my book is really not about dying people. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not about the power of music either, even though that's all in there. What is it about? Uh, the power of allowing yourself to enter another person's space, especially if they're helpless and can't help themselves, and mm-hmm. joining them in their journey and letting their journey become a part of your journey and melding together and giving in that way is very powerful and it's life-changing. And it helped me heal the scars from having been raised by a schizophrenic mm-hmm. mother. It made me a calmer person, more loving. Mm-hmm. My wife said the last two years, she doesn't recognize me anymore because I'm softer. I'm a softer person. You know, so, uh, you know, there's a couple of quotes that I've run into. Well, one of them is in the book. One of them is, you know, you haven't lived until you've given something to somebody who can never, ever pay you back. Right. That's very powerful. The other thing I read was, and I I didn't write this. uh, Somebody said, uh, take a look at your scars. It's not a sign of your woundedness. Scars are a sign of your healing. Healing. Yeah. It's very powerful. So I will always carry the scars of my dysfunctional childhood and how I almost destroyed myself in dealing with Mm. my own behaviors as someone who was the victim of a a household where there's mental illness. But those scars, those wounds turned into scars and I could look at them objectively now and realize I came out the other end. When you give, you get back. Right. I was healed by people who cannot heal. And that's a very mysterious, powerful thing. Mm, that's beautiful. So for somebody who wants to volunteer, you don't have to volunteer. For t- if you don't want to be with dying people, if you can't picture yourself sitting there holding their hand or reading them a book, you don't have to be a musician or you could just stream music out of your phone. If you don't do that, you could always find somebody mm. or some organization where you could volunteer. Yeah, beautiful. They're, they're out there. If you find, if you look for them, there's ways to find out about them. 
Yeah. I would highly recommend get out of yourself, get yeah. into something else, and you'll find that it changes you. Absolutely. That's, what Absolutely. The book is real. That's the message of the book, I hope. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. I got two last little questions for you. First, this cover, is this you? Uh, it looks like me from the back, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's not me. Ah, I get it. The other one is, of all the clients you worked with and all the songs that you played for them, what so far has been your most favorite song to play for a client? Oh, boy. Uh, there's a couple, there's two or three of them that keep, they keep coming back to. Some of you okay. wouldn't expect. There's one you wouldn't recognize. It's an old blues song called The Chunk Man Blues, 1928, written by Blind Bear Blake. And it's written about a guy who is so in love with a woman, she, he takes all the abuse she could dole out and still keeps going back. Wow. And, what happened, and then she turned him into a chump, and it's called The Chump Man Blues, 1928. Women in hospice love that song. Uh, they love the fact that this woman controls this guy. Very yeah. surprising. <laughs> uh, songs cool. like Dream, 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 by the, you, th that kind of song. There's a song called The Water is Wide. It's an old 16th century song from Scotland. It's a beautiful wow. tune. If you've never heard it, even without the words, it's a beautiful song called The Water is Wide. Right. Um, and of course, there's Elvis songs. Yeah, yeah. In my age group, they like Elvis songs. Okay, so we have to leave it there. We're at the end of the show. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure having you. Yes. Thank you. The book is uh, The Music Between Us, available at all the major booksellers and stuff. You mentioned you have a blog. Uh, do you want to give people and your if, website? If you go to stevelitwer.com, very simple, stevelitwer.com. The book, why I wrote the book, and a blog with articles and videos and other musicians and guitar players. And... Every song in the book is there on Spotify, chapter by chapter. I reference a couple of hundred songs in the book. You can listen to those songs, and you might be interested in the articles. And you could also get to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com from the book. Or, as with your book, Sam, go into any independent bookseller, ask for the book, they'll order it. You'll have it in three or four days. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate thank it. You. Listen, I wish you... All the best, and uh, I hope you can be uh, playing guitar for people again Thank before too long. Thank you so you. much. Blessings to you and your audience. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And yes, thank you, my loyal listeners. Uh, I see Sanaya says very moving. Uh, Patty is uh, giving all kinds of wonderful emojis. I think uh, they, they both enjoyed this interview as much as I have. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Patty, Sanaya. Uh, uh, and Susan who checked in before and, and to all my loyal listeners. And just remember, if you missed any part of today's show, it's available. The recording will be up in about 24 hours or so on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple, all the big uh, podcasting platforms. And uh, please stay tuned. Coming up this evening, we have Frank Harrison with a show, Frank, about health and uh, Johnny Tsunami with the show Planet Pakololo. And we got all the Block of Friday shows tomorrow. More shows coming next week. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Radio 
NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.